Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of That Anthro Podcast. I am so excited about our guest today, though, as you all know, I'm always excited about our guests. Particularly, um, today's guest is a recent UCSB uh, graduate, Griffin Fox, who is um, a very close colleague and friend of mine. I'm very lucky to have uh, both worked in the field with Griffin as well as conducted research and presented it recently at the Rocky Mountain Pre-Columbian Association Colloquium with him. And so Griffin is going to just really talk through his undergrad journey today. He had he was a transfer student to UCSB, which I think is great. We haven't had um very many transfer students on the podcast and he had some great things to say about Uh, you know, advice about the transfer experience as well as uh, how important it was ultimately for him to take those two years in community college and what he gained from that. Now in community college, he actually took classes with Andrew Kinkella, who some of you may remember from season one, episode 39. And we bring up that name a lot. So if it sounds familiar, that's why Andrew was on the podcast. And Griffin is just going to share all of the wonderful opportunities he's had. You know, we are in the same lab, the P.L. Walker Bioarchaeology and Biogeochemistry Lab on campus. As I mentioned, we're lab mates, but he's had a lot of very different experiences from me, and I think that's really fun. I learned a lot about him while recording this episode. He is also, I'm going to brag for him, a recently registered archaeologist. He's starting some CRM work because, like I said, he's taking a gap year right now applying to grad schools. He graduated in June of 2021, as well as having his first publication come out this week, which is really exciting, and uh, we're really proud of him. Any pub, you know, the whole lab is really proud of him. Any publication is a really big deal. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode with Griffin Vox. So let's dive into the episode by starting with your time at Moorpark Community College. That's where you started your undergrad journey. So I'm really curious if you had any idea what you might want to study going in. I actually have no idea if you like came in knowing you wanted to do ANTH or if you kind of discovered it along the way. When I first like transferred to Moorpark, I didn't even really know what anthropology was, to be honest. I knew it was the study of humans, but I didn't know like what that meant exactly. When I, I went to Moorpark just overall because d- during my senior year, I didn't really know what I wanted.
wanted to major in and I didn't see the point in spending a ton of money going to a four year as an undeclared major. And so I went to Moore Park and I just took general ed classes and then some other classes alongside it that piqued my interest. And as time went on, I just, I took anthropology. Well, I started actually, I took a Native American history class with uh, Susan Kinkella, the wife of Andrew Kinkella. That's funny. I didn't even know that his wife taught at Moore Park. She does. She's a historian, yeah. And so I took that because for years I had always, for a while I'd been thinking like in all of our U.S. history classes, we learned about like historical accounts of Natives interacting with you know, the United States government or whatever, but I knew nothing about pre-contact Americas. And I saw that class and I was like, finally, I can figure this out. Because I knew, like, if we can understand, like, dinosaurs and megafauna and stuff like that, surely we can figure stuff out about people from a couple hundred years ago. And I was right. You're like, I knew that someone was just putting what they wanted in the history yeah. books. <laughs> and I was trying to, I was trying to tell other people that, and they were like, "What are you talking about?" There's people just don't know, and it's like, I can't believe that for one second. And it just yeah. goes to show that I'm always right. Really, that's the big takeaway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is, Griffin. Um, so the first was the. Do you say it was Native American studies? Was it in listed yeah. in anthropology, or was it in the history no, that, department? That was actually a history class. But then yeah. in that class, uh, Susan Kinkella advertised that her husband was teaching a anthropology class that next spring semester that was like an anthropology class about the Chumash and other California tribes. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. I'll take that. And then from there I met Kinkel and I was like, okay, this guy's pretty cool. And this anthropology thing seems pretty cool. Yeah. He definitely conveys his, the passion of anthropology, definitely a good first teacher to anthro teacher to have. And he's a really good lecturer too. Like you've never like been in an actual class. Not to say that every other professor is a bad lecturer, but he like really he's good at presenting it all as a story and like keeping you gripped. I think he, I would have to say he is the best lecturer I've ever had. Don't tell him I said that though. <laughs> well, you know, if he listens, he might hear it. <laughs> oh geez, can Kella turn this off? Just stroke his ego a little bit. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear. I don't want you to hear me praising you. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, you, you met Kinkella and I think you were telling me you took a few more of his classes, but how did the opportunity come up to actually begin like working with him um, on excavations? Well, after that semester where I took the Chumash class, that, that's when I committed to doing the anthro major. And then I went through all the gen ed anth classes and just took a lot of the other like the fun ones like Egyptology and the class on the Maya and stuff like that. I'm sorry, and, you better take Egyptology at Moore Park Community. Okay, I haven't even got to take that at UCSB, and I like want to take it so, 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 so bad, but it hasn't been offered yet. Kinkella basically does this thing where every semester he has like one anthro class that focuses in on a specific culture area. Like there was the Chumash one, then Egyptology, then next the semester after that was the Maya, and it like goes back and it, it's like a cycle of those three different classes, and I took them all. That's awesome. But how I got introduced to the field program was I was taking intro to archaeology and then at the end of the semester he was just like oh yeah next fall I'm running an excavation every Saturday throughout the semester and now that you've taken this class you're all eligible to do it and I was like well I guess I'm doing that. And where did that end up being? What what type of site was it? It's actually it's two sites technically they're both within walking distance of each other but one's from like a 
I want to say a thousand to roughly 500 years ago, and the other is like 2000 plus. I don't remember the exact time ranges off the top of my head. But then, yeah, they're over in the Point Magoo area. They're coastal Chumash villages. Yeah, um, Point yeah. Magoo is what probably pretty close to Moore Park, and Griffin's from Thousand Oaks. So, yeah, all in the, the general, like, south southern California area. Yeah. That was your first excavation. I mean, I think uh, I know that, but I don't yes. know, like just clarifying. Um, was, what did you, what were, Sorry, go on. what were your thoughts? Were you like, this is, cause I know for me, my first time walking onto an archeological site, I was like, this is fake. Like someone, someone like put this stuff here. What are you talking about? Even though I knew so much about like the theory and methods. So I think it's always interesting to hear what people's initial reactions are. Cause going from the classroom into the field, like they're very different things and method is very different than field work in reality. Yeah, definitely. First off, I remember that summer before I actually was, before the class started, I was worrying the whole time, like, what if I actually hate working in the field? Like, what if I just enjoy Kinkella's lectures or like the <laughs> idea of archaeology, but I get out there and it's just terrible. So that was like a big fear going in. And then going to the sites and seeing them for the first time, there definitely was that, for me, I guess it was a little different because a lot of the like, there was some stuff you could see on the surface, but it's mostly just shells and mm. broken rocks it's not exactly if you don't know what you're looking at an untrained eye would not realize there's anything there yeah but I, so to me it was kind of like this is an archaeological site huh i guess that makes sense and then and now that, you're the shell expert <laughs> that's what they call me yeah not by choice but i've been i've been molded into it over the years but it, it was it was cool it was worth it i guess yeah I just remember when I like found the fake shell in the mound at Montecito oh, and I pulled it out and I was like, guys, I really hope this isn't an actual shell. And then we brushed it off and Griffin's like, yeah, no, that's definitely not a real shell. I would yeah. know. I've seen the real shells that come out of the dirt. That's not what a Chumash shell midden looks like. That yeah. It's a fancy decorative bathroom shell. <laughs> yeah. Well, overall, it was just a really, it was a great experience. There was once I started actually doing the excavation, there was no doubt in my mind, like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. And then all the people I worked with, they were all great. Some of them are still some of my really good friends to this day. That's awesome. And working with Kinkella, because before that point, Kinkella and I, like, we didn't know each other that well. He obviously recognized me because I took so many of his classes, but we weren't really that close yet, per se. And once I started working there, we got, we became close to where we're in. I suppose we were friends in a sense. I would, but don't, it can kill it. Turn this off. Don't hear, don't listen to that. I feel that way with Dr. Curran. I'm always like, yeah. how do I explain that she's my advisor, but also like one of my best friends that I trust like so much and like will text when I'm having a breakdown about something really stupid re relating to school. I definitely couldn't do that with Kinkella and I don't think he'd want me to, but I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> And um, you were telling me right before we started recording, too, that you're going to be helping supervise uh, the field class that he's doing this semester. And I think that clearly shows that, you know, he remembers you and trusts your work ethic. So I think that's really exciting, especially since, you know, you're we can talk about this later, too. But, you know, you're taking so, like this year to do some applied work. And I think that'll be a really good experience for you to help, um, you know, not just supervise, but you'll be able to give advice to the students yeah, as well. For sure. Yeah. It's an, it's an exciting thing for sure. I'm a little concerned about how it's all going to play out with COVID, but I think, I think we're all, 
Kinkella and me and the other supervisors are figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you spent like so much time in Montecito that was still during COVID. Like, I feel like it'll just feel like second nature of yeah. what we were having to deal with, you know, in the beginning of fieldwork in Montecito and having to be really cautious and always have our masks on and, you know, stay far apart and stuff. It'll, but again, yeah, I agree. I hope things don't get too, too bad with COVID. We all are trying to, I've been seeing all these really funny memes, like my fall plans and then like the Delta variant and yeah. people putting different things in. And I'm like, <laughs> Mm -hmm. Get vaccinated, people, please. Yes. Oh, my goodness, please. And I'm just going to put it out there. Tell people if you're not vaccinated so they can wear their mask around you. <laughs> Doesn't I mean I don't. That. <laughs> yeah, it's like I have, you know, it's a personal choice, whatever. I really strongly think that it should be a scientific choice and that people should choose science and get vaccinated. But if you're going to make that personal choice, at least tell me so that I can have my mask on. Yeah. Thank you. Public service amount announcement on the podcast. Uh, so in 2019, you started to begin the transfer process, which ends with you at UCSB. But I'm curious, like how the process went. Was the goal UCSB? I know sometimes at certain community colleges, you can um, like pick a UC and then you are like, your goal is to get to that UC, but I'm not yeah. sure. I've only, I know that uh, Ventura Community College does a bit of that. It's kind of like the Promise program or something. Am I making yeah, that Yeah, that sounds right. Moore Park has a very similar thing. I think the names are a little different, but it's mm -hmm. the same basic concept. Um, when I, I mean, I definitely didn't know I wanted to go to UCSB immediately going into Moore Park, but as I went further in anthropology and I started hearing more about the department, I so I considered it and then I'd always liked the Santa Barbara area too so that was also a big motivator yeah I applied to a couple of other schools most mostly just as backups but yeah and um there is a thing at Moore Park which I I knew about it but I was unaware exactly of how it works so I did it wrong it's this thing called the transfer admission guarantee or tag where it's like you That's said what you it know, was, yeah 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 you, you set up a school that you intend to transfer to and you have a, you fill out paperwork where you say like, yeah, I've done all the requirements for the, from my community college and they, they have no choice basically, but to let you in. Mm -hmm. But I didn't do that because I hadn't taken linguistic anthropology yet. And that was one of the requirements. And I didn't realize that I could still tag UCSB if I planned on doing it next semester. So I didn't actually tag them, but it didn't. Hey, it worked me. out. <laughs> It did work out. There's already the acceptance rate of transfers from Moore Park at UC schools is like 95% or something like that. Mm. So it's, it's not exactly, it's not always necessary to do tag, but it does just take some stress out of those couple of months of waiting to hear back. Yeah, definitely. What, what was your reaction when you got in? Were you immediately like, oh, I'm going to go to UCSB or did you come tour at all? No, when I, when I didn't actually get the chance to I didn't tour as I was applying. I toured a little later, mm -hmm. this, going back a little bit, actually. After the excavation class at Moore Park, there was a surveying class where we went to different sites and just learned how to do, like, hand-drawn maps and, like, and fill out some paperwork and things like that. And one of the places we went to was Painted Caves. So just while me and some of my friends were up there, we all checked out the UCSB campus, and that was my first time there. Awesome. But, I know my first impression of campus was just, like, what how is this place real <laughs> yeah right I mean I'd been to Santa Barbara many times throughout my life but I'd never actually been on campus and I was like wow this is 
fancy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Santa Barbara and UCSD like are so completely different. I grew up in Santa Barbara. Well, partly in Santa Barbara and Goleta. Like I literally lived in Goleta by where Trader Joe's is now, like so close to campus as a middle school, no elementary school. And I never, ever even like saw campus, had any idea. So when I applied to UCSB, it was like, well, I know Santa Barbara. And then everyone goes on campus and it's like, it is a different world. Yes, it's still the beautiful like coastal scenery, but UCSB is so isolated and it's little bubble on the cliffs. And like, it's just so pretty. My dad always says it's like, um, we live at a resort. (laughs) seems that way uh it's a nice it's a beautiful area mm-hmm. um do you have any advice for any listeners who might be going through that process of transferring to a four-year program from a community college i would definitely say a big thing that i missed out on was like yeah learn how tag and other like paperwork elements of it work another thing that happened to me actually was there's this thing you're supposed to get at more park and i assume other colleges have the same have a similar thing. I don't know if it's called the exact same thing. It's called IGETSI. I don't remember what it stands for, but it's basically something like you completed all the gen ed and lower div major requirements at the school and you get a certification for that. And I assumed that that certification was just automatically applied to your transcripts, but it wasn't. So when I got, they still accepted me to UCSB, but when I got there and was like running all my progress checks, I had a bunch of requirements that weren't met. I was like, I thought I just spent the last three years at Moorpark doing that yeah and so then there was a a lot of back and forth of calling different departments and every everywhere I called more park I love you but you gotta get your phone stuff settled every place I called was like oh no you have to call this other like you have to call the admissions office or oh no and I called them like you have to call the counselors I'm like and then I just ended up walking in in person one weekend I was like I need my certification they're like okay yeah here you go and I was like okay cool thanks (laughs) took like 15 minutes yeah so just probably making sure that like I know from friends that have done transferring as well when you go in freshman year regardless of what your goals may end up being like whether you end up transferring to a four-year or not at least going into your counselor and being here what are the things that I'm going to need to do so that I could do that or that I could you know go to a trade school or something like that probably making sure that that's clear like right off the bat would be helpful yeah and then another thing I would say this is more for when you're actually, when you've transferred is if you see a class that you're interested in that says like, oh, you require professor approval or whatever, give it a shot. I did not do that. I saw osteology was open. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And then I saw it was required instructor approval. And I didn't know Dr. Kern at the time. I was like, ah, she probably wouldn't let me in. But now obviously she would have. Yeah. I would have got to take that in person and I didn't. So don't be afraid to reach out to professors. They're not going to the worst they can say is there's no room or no or something they're not gonna they're not gonna bite your head off or anything yes and I'd say like most of the time they're really happy that a student's reached out especially if you express that you know for for example like osteology expressing like why you think that class would be beneficial for you to take and then if the teacher agrees you know can tell that you're dedicated and you're not just like I need another class. <laughs> um, the, you know, they're really accommodating. I saw this tweet once that was like, and I think it was a professor who tweeted it to student, like super long email that includes like 10, I'm sorry's for even, even bothering you. And then it's like yeah. the pres- professor responds with, okay, sent from my iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> like there are people too, that just are checking their emails and 
it's really not as stressful too. I think I definitely like the first time I emailed Amy Anderson, like gave myself so much stress. I was yes. so nervous. And then she responded and I started like screaming, like jumping around. Uh. And I think a big thing about that too, is as a transfer student, you have really, you have no priority with scheduling your classes. Like I was really scraping the bottom of the barrel just to get, I was lucky enough to get all upper div and classes somehow, but a lot of other transfers who came in in the same year as me, I know didn't. Mm -hmm. So if you can find a class that still has space that you're actually interested in your first quarter or semester, yeah, like do everything you can to try and get that because otherwise you're gonna have a rough quarter like I did. Yeah, and it's not like, uh, it's just too much too much enrollment in the public public schools like honestly that's just what it what it boils down to is that you know the schools are being over enrolled and I won't even get into that but because there's just there's 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 um trickle down effects from over enrolling past just people not getting classes like for example like we're having a housing crisis in Isla Vista right now because people can't find housing and there's just their dorms are overpacked you know etc but um what were your first impressions of UCSB? Like your first day on campus, your first week on campus, was it what you expected it to be? Were the classes like, I don't know. Um, I was, I was just complaining about having a rough quarter. It wasn't, the classes themselves were all pretty interesting, but it was just a much heavier workload. And there were classes that I, like I would, I wanted to be in osteology, but I didn't because I was a, mm-hmm. I was a fool. Um, it was definitely, it was kind of intimidating going into upper div anth, but also exciting because it was like it was a very different feel from all the lower div stuff at Moore Park. You could yeah. tell like I was gonna be you can tell you're gonna be much more involved in the heavy research elements and the theoretical approaches and that sort of thing. And that was stuff that I hadn't really learned a whole lot about in lower div. And I was like, okay, this is gonna be interesting. This is fun. And my actually my very first day, because Somehow, even though I was just complaining about no priority registration, I was lucky enough to have all my classes be on a Tuesday and Thursday. And so my Monday and Wednesday was completely free. And a friend of mine had, who was an alumni at UCSB had told me she was, she was working with a grad student, Katie Brown. I don't know if you know her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were, she was helping her excavate a mission La Parisma, and she was like, oh yeah, Katie needs interns. You should intern for her in the lab for her. And I was like, okay, sure. So yeah, I I reached out to Katie and I said, oh yeah, my friend said you needed interns. I would, if you, you know, if that's the case, I'd be happy to help. I have some experience already. I've worked on Chumash sites and I mentioned Kinkella and Katie gets back to me and she's like, oh yeah, I had Kinkella when I was at Moore Park. Yeah. Welcome aboard. And I was like, okay, sweet. That's awesome. So my my first, my first actual day that Monday of the first week was just me going into the lab and sorting more shells. It's more of the same. Hey, but that's pretty exciting though, that you came in on your little first day on campus. Like you had a lab to go to and you already got a connection with a grad student. Does she go, is her full name Caitlin? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've definitely seen like Caitlin Brown listed and I was like, I'm assuming it's probably the same person. Yeah. I forget that's her actual name. She she just goes by Katie. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and she is she still at UCSB? She graduated okay. this yeah this last June. I don't know if she's fully defended her dissertation. I don't know if I'm allowed to call her Dr. Caitlin Brown PhD just yet, but that's in the works. That'll be exciting when you can. <laughs> yeah, right. So then, yeah, after that first day, I think this was actually just my third day on campus, my second day in the lab. I was just I was working 
sorting shells and all that good stuff, filling out tags. And Katie goes up to me and she says, so I've been watching, like, you clearly know what you're actually doing. You have prior field and lab experience. I'm running a symposium for the Society for California Archaeology next March, and I need co-authors. Do you want to be a part of that? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I'm not going to say no to that. Then my job as an intern became more like specified. And by that, I mean, because my, the paper I was working on, I was a co-author to, do you know Itzmara? Yeah. Itzmara Exta- yeah. I was co-authoring her paper, which was about shellfish, like consumption and utilization at Mission La Parisima by the Chumash, which to anybody listening, you're going to think, oh God, shellfish, that sounds so boring. And from a, from a material standpoint, you might be right. But the thing about it was the implication, because if you looked at the assemblage of shellfish compared to the faunal assemblage, a very large chunk of the diet is shellfish, which is something that doesn't really get talked about in the mission context, because usually the, like the narrative, I'm sure you've heard this too, is, oh yeah, once the Spanish get here, they switch entirely to livestock and agriculture. Mm-hmm. But it's looking like that's not necessarily the case. And another thing about it is Mission La Purissima. I don't know if you've ever been there, Mm-mm. but it's not, it's not coastal. Like it's quite oh. far in, it's like 14-ish miles inland. So mm, yeah. they're having to like venture out to the ocean to gather yeah. this stuff. So that was, that was my topic for the symposium anyway. Yeah, that's really was. interesting. But then what happened was March rolls about. We do a little mock presentation thing at UCSB for some of her faculty or whatever mm. students want to watch, like friends, that sort of thing. And it goes very well. We're all feeling very good. We're like, all right, we're ready. Next week, we're going to present this at the actual conference. I get a call the next day from Katie. I pick up, I pick up the phone. I'm like, what's up? COVID-19 is up. Conference is canceled. Oh, shit. So then the next, there's like a bit of a gap in stuff after that point. But then eventually it becomes decided that they're just going to hold the SCA meeting again virtually next March. And so then Katie's like, okay, we're going to do that. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna update this presentation. We're gonna make it even better now that we've got a whole extra year to work on it and then we're gonna present it there. So then finally last March, that whole chunk of my life got resolved. And now we're in the process. Well, our work is basically done, but after we presented it, somebody came to Katie with a publication offer. And so we turned it into an academic article that has yet to be published. I don't know when it's coming out, but it's it's finished it's just a matter of whatever publication bureaucracy yeah the reviewing process whatever first of all I didn't know that that's awesome you're gonna have your first publication that's super exciting you have to frame it because that's what like my freshman year osteo class like my my friend and dedicated listener Alex Bay she's still she's like yeah so when you get your first publication I want it in a frame sent to me so we'll definitely frame it I'll put it up on the fridge yes (laughs) Um, so for those of you that are like mentally thinking right now, hmm, 2019 is when Griffin started at UCSB. Well, um, Griffin's first two quarters on campus, like also ended up being his last two on campus because surprise COVID. Yay. Um, but right before March of 2020, uh, Griffin and I actually took zoo archaeology together with Professor McClure. We didn't know each other at the time, but then when we started excavating Montessori, I was like, 
you look familiar. And he was like, yeah, I think we had Zuark together. I was probably annoying in that class because I'd already taken osteo. And, but then Zuark like hits you in the face with just so much new information that is crazy. Like I really thought after osteo coming in, I'd be like, oh, this is like second nature. Animal bones are just 10 times more intricate and complicated to memorize, I feel like. <laughs> I have to agree, yeah. Yeah. Because there's so many there's so many different shapes of animal. Isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> yeah. So what did you think of that class? What do you think of Professor McClure? Definitely kind of fun. Probably was it maybe your first your first lab class? I guess yeah, one of those two those two were basically my first upper div lab classes apart from internship stuff. And Zork and uh, McClure both McClure is one of my favorite professors at UCSB, and Zork was one of my favorite classes. I'm glad I got the chance to take it in person before the global pandemic reared its ugly head. It was my first time actually having hands-on experience with fully intact, large animal bones, because all my work in the labs, at, with, in Katie's lab and with Kinkella in the field and in the lab, that was mostly shell fragments and then some tiny nondescript animal bones so i never really got exposure to learning yeah animal parts until that class and that was definitely a useful thing to know and i think it mm-hmm. helped me a lot going into osteology next year in the fall yeah. remotely because i had some experience i knew even though they're shaped differently a lot of the bone parts are labeled the same thing in a human and yeah just knowledge like that helped a lot because learning osteology remotely was kind of difficult <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. TAing for that. It was just like, I feel like someone at some point emailed me, what do you think the best way is like for us to look at bones? And I was just like, I don't know. Like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Like when I took this class, it was in person. I wonder if taking Zuark before osteo was, would almost be more beneficial than the other way around, because I feel like taking Zuark right after I took osteo almost like scrambled my brain, but maybe if I had taken Zuark then osteo, like I would have but I agree but I don't know I don't know how I would have felt if I'd taken osteology first yeah but But I agree I love Professor McClure and that's that's definitely been said quite a bit on this podcast um but but yeah she's an amazing uh really engaging lecturer I think something really fun about that class that I really enjoyed and then she carried it through um during online learning was that she would like intersperse I think that's the right word intersperse um little short video clips like in her lectures to like be an example of something and as a visual learner I thought it would like help me remember a concept more even if it was just like a two-minute video of like a dog running like do you remember she showed us like how greyhounds run versus Mm -hmm. how like dachshunds run and then you can kind of imagine how those um kind of manifest in the actual bone yeah I like that a lot actually that made a that made it very clear to me like the different mechanical elements of bones and movement and that sort of thing yeah. So um, I know you also worked um, in another another internship capacity during your time on campus. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Trade and metallurgy and that sort of thing in the Levant mm-hmm. and in uh, Western Africa. Yeah. That's really and fascinating. It was an interesting thing to learn about. It's not really an area that I'd ever, I mean, I took Egyptology and I took biblical arc and that sort of thing, but it's never been an area that I was very, very interested in. And it's, not the sort of thing I want to specialize in, but it was it was interesting to just get more information on that area and in a category of like metallurgy is something I knew very little about. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, and then other than that, I did a lot of, 
I don't, I guess the Montecito work wouldn't count as an internship and we'll get more into that later. Oh, it does count as an internship. It's volunteer. I guess, I guess, I guess it all, we're all volunteers just based on like the nature of the project, but in theory, like it was, it was, we were applying like our anthropological skills. Right. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later. Apart from that, I did some other various odd jobs for Dr. Curran throughout the quarters, as you've mentioned on an earlier episode, I, did the yeah. calibration for the Inca stuff. Yeah, he calibrated the radiocarbon dates for um, my project that actually, this is really exciting, it just got accepted uh, yesterday to um, a conference in Denver. I mean, you submit oh, nice. the abstract, so it would have been odd for it not to get accepted, but still having it officially accepted was really exciting. So we'll be presenting those radiocarbon dates mm-hmm. in that conference that Griffin helped with too. So that's exciting. That's awesome, congrats. Behind the scenes, I did not know how to calibrate carbon dates until I got sent that spreadsheet. Yeah, um, <laughs> I didn't either, and I tried, and then I was desperately failing. Um, and so then we asked Griffin, and Griffin did a wonderful job. But now I actually know how to calibrate radiocarbon dates, and that's what I've been doing in my summer internship. And now I feel like OxCal and I have a full relationship. I, I kind of hate it. The other day it deleted like half of my data, which really pissed me off. Um, I was at work and I'd spent like 40 minutes staring, like cr- trying to cr- um, put the dates in chronological order. And then it just deleted my 40 minutes of work. <laughs> you gotta love fighting with data manipulation programs. Yeah. And coding so where it cares about the syntax. If you don't have like oh, one yeah. parenthesis, it like freaks out. Love that, love that. But behind the scenes, because when Dr. Kern emailed me about that, it was actually the day before that I had gotten my second COVID vaccine. And so that day I was super fevery and out of it and achy and all that good stuff. And so I saw that email from her and I'd been working with calibrated carbon dates on my senior thesis. And in my groggy state, I looked and I was like, I know how to calibrate radiocarbon dates. And so I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. But just, you know, give me a day so I can recover from my vaccine. And so then the next day I woke up feeling totally normal. And then I realized I've never calibrated a carbon date in my life. Why did I say that? (laughs) (laughs) And so then I taught myself how to do it. It was because I'd worked with them enough before to where I knew what the end result would look like. So it wasn't actually like a huge ordeal to figure out. Yeah. But it was just, it was kind of funny waking up and realizing, like, why did I, I just lied to Dr. Curran. Yeah, uh, COVID vaccine things, yeah. So that if you wanted a reason to, like, if you wanted another, why should I get the vaccine? I hear you asking yourself, if you do it, you can help redefine the time span of the Inca Empire sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm so excited to do more research on that project because basically like just briefly the radiocarbon dates that we calibrated put the arrival of the Inca like the start of the Inca empire like 50 years before previous scholarship so it's like kind of a big deal um and that's not even like what my project was like analyzing that was just the dates to contextualize it so I'm definitely excited to like dive dive further into that but um, so the last question I have for you is right now you're working at the UCSB repository. What are you up to? What are you doing? And this is a very nice thing. Like I said, he's literally working. So he's getting paid, which is lovely because lots of times what we do for internships is unpaid. So it's exciting. He's actually getting paid to do some archeo stuff. <laughs> First time. Very exciting. Um, basically what I'm doing is I'm working for a 
Dr. Douglas Kennett, who runs the uh, archaeological repository at UCSB, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's essentially where a bunch of archaeological material is stored at UCSB. It's a lot like that final scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark with the giant warehouse. I don't know if you've ever actually seen the repository, Gabby, but it's it's a lot like that. It's just a bunch of cabinets and a big underground facility. It's very it's very daunting. I've only been down there once, but um, so my job, yeah. So I asked. I was looking around for CRM or other archaeology adjacent jobs, and then I realized that Dr. Kennett runs the repository. And I know that sometimes there's paid positions there. And I figured I might as well ask because he was my advisor for my senior thesis. And it turns out there was work. And basically what I'm doing is a little, I think somebody else was working on this before, but for a, for a while, basically the inventory of everything in the repository was a big collection of separate Excel documents and PDF files and just a bunch of, mm-hmm. bunch of loose documents or online documents or even some physical documents basically that hadn't really been updated or pulled together in a very long time and so it's my task to sort of compile it all into one big database which i'm using filemaker for i don't know if you've ever used that it's Mm-mm. i don't recommend it <laughs> it's for what it is and i mean you know it's a useful tool but there's a very high learning curve to it is as there is with every technological thing. It's like OxCal. I literally tweeted the other day. I was like, oh, OxCal, how I hate you. Hashtag archaeologist problems. I really like, sorry, this is totally off topic, but I really love archaeology and anthro Twitter. Like it makes me happy. I don't know enough about it. I, I've heard of it, but I, I'm not yeah. on Twitter. I just, um, that and then gymnastics Twitter. Gymnastics Twitter oh, is yeah. what gets me through the day, man. <laughs> love to see those little niche like social media groups about obscure topics like anthropology or gymnastics yeah mm-hmm. it's a fun time Ex- because nobody else like you know you show your non-anthro or gym or whatever people something from and they're like i don't i don't know what that means but you you get it you smile you're like yeah that's me. I, yeah. that happened to me i relate to this yep yeah so any any last thoughts yes so griffin in the field always had his cowboy hat on. So he's going to tell us the origin story of the cowboy hat. Yeah, because the thing about this cowboy hat is it's it's a relic now. I'll, I'll just get into it. So what happened was on the first day of that, of the surveying class with Kinkella, we were just on campus getting the rundown before like the next couple of weeks would go on and we would actually start surveying different sites. And so we're just talking and then it gets to be around noon and Kinkella's like, okay, well, we're gonna, you guys can go grab lunch now if you want. I didn't expect the class, I didn't expect this first class to take this long. I've got some other stuff to talk about, but go grab food and then we'll just wrap that up and you can go home. And so me and a couple of my friends went to this barbecue restaurant just not far from campus. The food, not that good, very overpriced. But I look over to the left-hand side of the entryway and there's just this big shelf full of these like, not very high quality like shitty i don't even know what it is not straw but like mesh yeah store cowboy hats and it's like you know cowboy hat eight bucks i'm like guys should i buy that cowboy hat and they're like yeah you should buy that and i was like i'm gonna buy it and so then i come back to class i'm like hey guys i bought a hat and then that became my my go-to archaeology hat 
someday okay. it's going to disintegrate off my head because already yeah. just from doing the work in Montecito, it's very much worn down. Yeah. But until that day, that's my iconic hat. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you, Griffin, so much for coming and talking with me. I'm really glad that you know, we got to work together in the field in Montecito, especially, you know, before you graduated. Cause, oh, I don't even yeah. think we said that he successfully graduated from UCSD. He has his degree, which is lovely. And now apparently he's going to have his first publication, which is really awesome too. 